0: Well, welcome. How's everybody doing? You still doing good? Hey, I'm so excited that you're here this morning. Uh, we're we're going to dive into something that is so old school and fun at the same time. We are in a series. This is part two of a series on the life of David. If you don't know who David is, David is basically known as the greatest king in all of Israel. He was uh, was the guy that was written about more than any other guy in all the Old Testament. Really, the, the whole Bible outside of Jesus. I don't know. You have to. The Apostle Paul. I think he's got more there. Hey, this guy is so written about. And his life is so fascinating. I said this last week, if you could take his story to Hollywood, which I think people have pitched, if you could take his story to Hollywood, number one, it would be totally R rated. Number two, it would be fascinating what this guy experienced in his life. I can't even begin to summarize. And so we're just taking a few things because here's the most important thing about David's life. As fascinating as the whole thing was, the most important thing was this is that God looked at him as a young man And he said to the prophet Samuel, he said, hey, look, somebody needs to be king. And I'll tell you who I'm looking for. I'm looking for a person who embodies my heart. Somebody who is just their heart is the heart that I care about. And then they bring along this kid named David. And God says, that's the one which to me begs the question, if he had the heart that God was most attracted to. And if he had the heart that most reflected the heart of God, I want to know what that is. Because if I want to follow God, I want to be like that. Does that make sense? No, I don't want to be like Mike. I want to be like David. And I want to figure out what was in his heart that made him so fascinating. And last week, if you missed, go grab the CD in the back or you can go grab a, a podcast or a watch online, whatever you want to do. Catch up with us because last week was just kind of an introductory. It shows you how he came to be. But today we will look at really the story That put him on the national stage. It is maybe the most famous story of the entire Old Testament. You will know it simply as David and Goliath. Now, real quick, spoiler alert. If you don't know the story, I'm going to just go ahead and tell you what happens. David won. I may have just ruined it for you, but there's just so much to cover today. I need you to get that out. David won. OK, and so but in this story, there is so much. So here's what I really need you to do. As many of you know, the story of David, if you've never been to church, you know, that analogy and that that kind of, you know, when when, when a great sports team goes up against this anemic little weak sports team, you know, what I'm mean? like, like little giants or whatever. And, and you have these great stories of, of you know, remember, remember back when the Patriots were undefeated And they, and they were facing the New York Giants who were the wild card team. Everybody's like, man, they're gonna get smoked like a cheap cigar. So anyway, they, they, it just, it was the David and Goliath story. And so we use this in sports, we use this in life. Anytime the little guy goes up against the big corporation or anytime we we see this David and Goliath kind of analogy, but this is where it all comes from. And there's so much depth to the story. So as to the best of your ability, I need you to try to buy into the story as if you've never heard it before. I need you to look at this story with some fresh eyes. Don't check out on me because there's some great truths in here. And here's the number one truth that I want you to understand is that David and this heart that we all want is that David was a warrior. David was thuggalicious. David was beast mode. David, I'm telling you what, even, this is what put him on the map. But if you look at his whole life, his whole life, he embodies the spirit of a warrior. Now, now again, when I talk about that with you I don't need you to go sign up for the Marines this afternoon, okay? I'm not saying go, go, you know, go get yourself a good assault rifle and a bayonet. I'm not saying that because what we're talking about today is how that applies to us. And what I mean is this. When I talk about warrior today, I'm talking about the man or woman of God who is willing to fight for what they believe in and fight against the spiritual enemies. Of their life. Are you with me this morning? Said so like that's the warrior that I need you to be. So I, I don't need you to go and put on some war paint and get weird. I need you to embody the spirit of a warrior, the heart of a warrior. Not go and buy, um, you know, grenades. Does that make sense? Everybody tracking with me today? So here's the story. Here's how it all works out. Are you ready to begin? First Samuel 17 is where you find the story. You can follow along on the screens. I can't even read the whole thing because it takes up too many verses, but I'll read off, I think, the chunks that are maybe most important. The Bible says that Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah. They drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites another, and a valley was between them. A champion came out named Goliath, who was from Gath. He came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. Talk about like the NBA would pay him millions. He wouldn't be a warrior. Well, he could be a warrior. He'd be Golden State warrior. <clears throat> nine feet tall. Who wouldn't want that guy guarding the rim? He had a bronze helmet and his head uh, on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. We don't know what a shekel is. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft... Was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed six hundred shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. I'll tell you, this is basically the deal. His armor uh, weighed more than people did. Does that make sense? So he's like wearing a dude on the front, wearing a dude on the back. When it says that his the head of his spear, the number of shekels. All right, guys, you you lift weights, you know, you start doing your curls. You know, think about a twenty-five pound dumbbell. That was the head of the spear that he carried. Can you imagine like chucking a spear and just the head of it was a 25 pound dumbbell. So this guy, this guy was, he was huge. Uh, verse 10. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's word, words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. They were dismayed and they were terrified. I mean, they was confused and I don't even know what to do. And I'm scared, And so, dismayed and confused. Paralyzed. Didn't know what to do. Couldn't even muster the courage to try to do it. They were that messed up at the sight of this dude. Now, this was common. As a matter of fact, if you saw the movie Troy years and years ago with Brad Pitt, when he got all yoked up and steroided up and so... um, what, what th- th- there's a scene they, they do this in the beginning of that movie and this was really really common in their day Because how many know these guys when they would fight against each other you're talking about massive bloodshed I mean these guys just went out in the middle of a field with swords and spears and just killed each other And so you would lose so much life all the dads all the sons all the workers And so as a, as a nation you didn't want to lose that much of your workforce and army and all this And so their solution was many times like okay look you give me your best dude, and you give me your best dude, and we'll just let one dude fight one dude, so we don't have to die today. And so that was just kind of their method to to save life and to spare life, one dude from each camp. And so that's what was going on. And so clearly, when you've got a dude that's nine foot tall, beastly, strong, mean, ugly, nasty, and you send him out, you feel pretty confident we're going to win today. So this goes on for days, like days. He comes out because they're just they're not wanting to fight. All the way, so they keep sending Goliath out, hoping that they 're going to send out this Israelite person to fight Goliath, and this goes on for days and days and days and, and this is what you need to know is that I, I think about this this is the scene this is the stage that David walks into like in great fear, you need to know this like great fear sets the stage for courage, right because without fear, there would never be a need for courage so like it 's not like you had to be courageous to go you know to the mail place. You know what I mean? And you're like, Oh, really? I'm just got to be bold today. No, you're just going to take mail. You know, th- there's no fear involved with going to the post office. You don't need courage. You just need to go. And so it's great fear that sets the stage for great courage. And in all of Israel, everybody, again, they were dismayed and they were terrified, but this kid, David shows up and we'll see the story unfold. This kid, David shows up, he wins. We are uh, spoiler alert again. He wins. And, and then in, in light of that, the whole nation of Israel shifts. Like, like, imagine the whole army is afraid and scared, won't come out, but later they chase these guys down. Like, after David defeats the, the, the giant, they all chase him down and start whooping him. And they, all throughout David's life, he embodies this warrior spirit, but he also passes it along to everybody around him. As a matter of fact, later in his life, when he's kind of on the run from King Saul, King Saul's mad because. Basically, they they sang songs about David later after this. They're like, Saul has killed his hundreds, but David has killed his thousands, and, and that didn't go over well with the king. And he's already nuts anyway; he should be on severe medication. And so he flips out. He's trying to kill David, but David assembles a group called David's Mighty Men. Has anybody ever heard of this before? He's got his own boys. You know, he's the David's Mighty Men. And listen to the story of David. David's Mighty Men. Listen to uh, Adino, the Isnite. Adino, listen to Adino. Adino killed 800 men at one time. Like, think about that. Like, like I, th- I, I think if you gave me like a like a big machine gun, and 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 they just had swords, like I might be able to kill 800 people. They didn't have machine guns. I, I don't know how he did it, but he killed 800 men at one time. How many know like? You don't want Adino mad at you. Ever. Abishai. Abishai. They all have weird names. Abishai killed 300 men with his spear. Benaiah. Benaiah killed, this is what it says, in this, these are all in 2 Samuel chapter 23 here. He killed two lion like heroes of Moab. Also, he went down and killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Just because he was bored. Like they came up to, to, to Benign and were like, hey, man, what are you doing? We're going to go kill some lions. You want to go? Nah, I've done that. That's what I, I do that with my hobby time. That's not even fun for me anymore. Well, it's snowing out. You know that I no, I've killed them in the snow, too. That's really not a big deal. He's like, well, we got one in a pit. All right, I'll go check it out. I mean, there's a great book. It's a, if you're looking for a book to read, Mark Batterson wrote a book called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. It's just an incredible story, and he built the book off of this one story about a guy who's just incredibly courageous and full of faith. And so anyway, there was one while this last guy. Jonathan was, was David's nephew, and, and it says that he found a man, listen to this, who had six fingers and six toes. Now, how many know, there's some weird stuff in the Bible, right? But it says that Jonathan found the guy with six fingers and six toes and killed him too. And, so that, and you know what he said before he killed him? You killed my father. Anyway, um, <laughs> some of y'all know what I'm saying. Uh, so, so David embodied... My name is Inigo Montoya. You have six fingers. i have kill you. Anyway... David embodied this attitude, this kind of warrior spirit, this idea of courage and faith. And today I want to look at six big ideas. So if you're taking notes, take notes on this. Number one is this. Warriors don't always look like warriors. You need to like like embrace that idea. Because many of you are like, yeah, 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 I don't look like a warrior. I'm 140 pounds dripping wet. And so... Uh, that's just not who I am. Listen to what it says about David. First Samuel 17. Now Jesse said to his son, David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. So David did not look like a warrior at this moment. You ever had like the pizza delivery guy show up at your house? And you'd be like, He'd Man, that guy's just a beast what a warrior. You know, this is how David shows up to the scene. David is not a part of the of the army. He is not a a warrior in his name or in his image or in his look or even of his age. He's the cheese delivery guy shows up with bread and cheese. That's pizza, right? It's bread with cheese. And so He is the pizza delivery guy and he shows up and everybody's dismayed and terrified, dismayed and terrified. And he shows up and here's what I need you to know. You don't have to look like a warrior to be a warrior. Like one of the things that has so messed us up is a few years ago, there was a movie that came out called 300. How many of y'all remember 300? Yeah, I'll tell you, it messed every man up in the world because like we either... We either didn't look like that and felt worse about ourselves or we thought and believed we could actually look like that. As a matter of fact, the whole CrossFit movement was really exploded out of that movie 300 because we're looking at Leonidas and them eight-pack abs And thinking like, man, that guy is awesome. I want to be like Leonidas. And so we went out and started our CrossFit gyms all across America. And now we're CrossFitters everywhere. And CrossFit Olympics and CrossFit games. And, you know, we're all injured and beat up usually after we CrossFit for three weeks. But anyway, but but like I'm telling you, we got this image that we needed to look like Leonidas to be a warrior. I'm telling you, that's just not what David looked like. And so if you don't feel like a warrior, if you've never thought, Todd, I I really, you know, like Todd, I work in a cubicle. Okay. I, I'm on the phone all day. I'm not a war- I'm telling you, you don't have to look like a warrior and you don't got to feel like a warrior to be a warrior. Let's keep going here. Number two is this, is that warriors keep their eye on the reward. Warriors keep their eye on the reward. I need you to listen, listen to this real quick here. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this guy keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel, but the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage, and then will exempt the father's family from taxes in Israel. And David asked the, the men standing here, "Excuse me, can you repeat that, please?" He does this later again. This comes up again. Like, so I just want to be clear on this. So, because uh, think how great this reward is. Think about getting a boatload of money. Number one, no taxes for you or your family. For how many of y'all would like to dial that up right about now? I'm going to pay taxes. Woohoo! I'm free free at last, free at last, no more taxes for my life. And then, and then you get the daughter's hand in marriage. Now, the only way that that's working against you is if like, that's the one he can't get rid of because you know, whatever. But, but uh, in in general, this is a really big deal. Like this is a great reward. And David, David's like, can you just repeat that again? I want to click. Can we get that in writing? Because I'm about to go whoop that dude. And I just want to be sure that this isn't like a, you know, you're not conning anybody here. Warriors, they keep their eye on the reward. I need you to know that because many times, um, maybe if you're a very, very kind of pious Christian and humble of heart, you would say, oh, no, 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 I don't need to be rewarded. Nobody needs to see me. That's not what David was like, and that's not even what God says. As a matter of fact, listen to this in Hebrews 11. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse, uh, verse 6, it says this. It says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's pretty clear. That makes sense. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to see him, God, must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Are you with me this morning? So like as a believer, I need you to know that there is great reward for following God. I just need you to know that that God does not ask you to follow him, sacrifice everything, and then just say, well, you just need to be humble about it. You just need to do it anyway, because I'm bigger than you. He doesn't do fact, Peter does this to Jesus. Peter has a moment that the first time I read, I thought for sure Jesus is going to open up a can of rebuke on him. Like, he comes to Jesus, and and some guy had been saying about sacrificing and giving up, and Peter comes and says, well, Lord, look what we've done. I left my family, my home, my business, my money. I'm going to die one day for this thing? Surely, in Jesus, you think Jesus is going to be like, you know what? You should have a better attitude than that. And he doesn't. Jesus' response is this, you know what, Peter, you're absolutely right, and you will absolutely be rewarded in this life and in the life to come. So, like, God is okay, because, like, here's what, again, when you see this idea of faith, you must believe that he is. Like, that God's presence is with you. You'll see this in David today. He truly believed that God's presence was with him. But he truly believed as well that God was a rewarder of those that diligently sought him are you with me this morning? So like, don't, cause there, you just need to embrace this idea that following God in our culture as of right now has a bit of a bad rap as if like following God is a negative or following. I'm telling you this, that serving God will actually make your life more blessed and more abundant. It, it will. As a matter of fact, if you're here today and you say, Todd, I don't even believe in God. I'd say, you know what? Here's here I, here I dare you to do. You start following the life and teachings of Jesus, and just just you don't have to believe he was God. You don't have to believe anything. You would still be incredibly blessed if you just did everything God said to do in terms of living the life that Jesus. You, your life would be happier. It would be more full of joy. It would be more full of significance. You would be a, a happier, more blessed person if you followed God, even if you didn't believe in him. that's irrelevant. I'm telling you, there's great reward. I'm telling you that some of you right now are faced with a battle. And and you've got a decision to make because some of you need to fight for your marriage. Like your marriage is is suffering, things aren't good, and you need to become, hey, I need to get in there and fight for it. Because letting it just go is the way it's going right now. It's going to go south. But you need to step in and fight for it. With your kids, some of you are in the same boat. Your kids are headed in a wrong direction. And you you know that there's a decision that you can make one way or the other that would greatly influence the outcome of your kid's life. And you need to fight for that. You need to fight for the injustices of the world. You need to fight. I'm telling you, there is great reward. In stepping in the arena and fighting for what God has given you. Somebody say amen. Amen. Number three is this Warriors ignore the critics. Now, I don't know about you, but this is my experience in life. Is that anytime I have ever seen anyone try to accomplish anything of significance, there are always at least two people there to tell them why they can't and it's too hard and you shouldn't even try. There's just something about life. Life is full of critics. You need to go ahead and just embrace that. It's not a big deal for everything great that you try to do, you might, you might say, hey, I'm going to make that decision. I'm going to go in this direction. Somebody will tell you, well, I tried that and it didn't work or that's dumb and you shouldn't. I tell you. And there's going to be critics that tell you that you're dumb, you're wrong, whether it's serving God or making a decision for the kingdom of God. Somebody's going to tell you that you shouldn't do it. And David was no different. As a matter of fact, there were three major critics in David's life. The first one was his brothers. When he shows up to the battle scene, they totally question his motives, tell him to get out of there. They're total critics. The second one was Saul. He goes to Saul and was like, hey, look, none of your dudes are wanting to go fight. I'll go. Listen to what Saul says. Saul flat out just puts him in his place. This is the king. First Samuel seventeen thirty three said, Saul says, you are not able. Well, thanks for that vote of confidence. You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight for him. You're nothing but a kid. And this, this, this big, huge nine-foot dude has been fighting since he was a kid third guy that criticizes him is Goliath himself. He comes out onto the battlefield and Goliath literally laughs at him. He says, are you for real? Are you kidding me right now? Am I a dog that you would come out here with a stick in your hand? Are you kidding me? Life is full of critics. And you know what a critic usually is most of the time. And you'll see it with the brothers. You'll definitely see it with Saul. A critic is somebody who sits back and tells you why you can't while they sit back and do nothing at all themselves. How many times do you ever see a, a, a critic who's also a person that's incredibly accomplished? You rarely ever see that because the person that's actually accomplished won't be critical. They'll come alongside and help. they like, hey, well, you know what? I've been through this before. Let me give you some guidance. Let me give you some help. Let me give you some wisdom or insight. Why? Because they've actually been through it before. But the critic just sits back and says, no, you can't. And usually it's out of jealousy, it's out of envy, they're so, they're so fearful that you might jump ahead in life or actually achieve something or be blessed. And so I'm telling you, a great warrior just says, hey look, man, there are critics, there are naysayers everywhere, and I don't care, I don't listen to them. I listen to what God says, first and foremost. Number four is this, warriors build on past victories. Watch what David says here. This is David's response to, I can't do this. David says to Saul, look, I just need you to know your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I chased it down. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, meaning I hit it and made it angry. It, I seized it by the hair, struck it and killed it. So I need you to get this because like in a moment he kills Goliath with a sling and a rock. OK, well, he didn't even kill the lion that way. Does that make sense? How did he kill the lion? He said, I grabbed it, beat it. Anyway, it's just a thought, like like he's got multiple tools. He can beat you or he can throw rocks at you. So your servant, verse 36, has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, you you might want to just keep that in your memory bank. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me. From the hand of this Philistine. Great warriors, I'm telling you what, they build on past victories. And one of the best things that you can ever do as a Christ follower is this. You need to have a notebook, a journal, or something. And every time that you get any type of answered prayer, any you ever have a victory, any you overcome anything, any you ever get to the end of a, of a mess and you say, Wow, look how God was there for me. Look how God brought me through. Look how God provided. What you need to do is write it down. Sometimes the ones you write down also are not the victories that you had that were huge. Sometimes it's the ones where you just get through it. and You're like, wow, look what God kept me from. I so wanted to go do this and God shut it down. <laughs> and I was mad at the time. But in hindsight, Facebook is proof of that, right? Remember that girl you wanted so badly in high school? Give it 15 years. Now, like, hey, she turned out to be crazy. You know what I'm saying? Girls, same thing. You had that guy. You thought he was so dreamy in high school. And now he's got like five prison tattoos and you're like, Ooh, that was a good thing. I stayed away from that. And so anyway, my point is this, is that sometimes, sometimes those victories are not even things you wanted and got, sometimes it's the thing you want and God protected you from. And you need to write that down just to remember, Hey, God is always with me. Sometimes he's for me and pushing me ahead. Sometimes he's holding me back and protecting me, but God is always with me. Somebody say amen to that. And when I write those things, cause I'll tell you this, whenever you get into a mess, fear is a form of focus. It totally is. Fear is a form of focus. And when you get fearful, when you get stressed, when you get anxious, I promise all you can see is the thing that is making you stressed and anxious and fearful. You don't see anything else. And so we're so quick to forget. I I had this conversation with a a gentleman in our church not too long ago. Um, In his business, had a big disaster, fiasco, mess come upon his business. And and now I've known this guy for years. And so I'm hearing this story over lunch and we're talking about it. And I'm like, but didn't this... Almost exact scenario happened three years ago? And he's like, well, yeah. And I'm like, weren't you telling me how big God was in those moments and how he did this and he did this? And it was like heaven and earth moved. He's like, yeah. I'm like... Well, don't you think God can do it again? But in the moment, all you can see is the mess and the heartache and what you're going through. How many know the emotion of it all clouds everything? And you're just so, you ever been like just mad, bent out of shape towards somebody? You can't see anything clearly because the emotions have clouded it all. But I'm telling you, you go back to that journal, you go back to that notepad, that list and start remembering all the things that God has done. You will watch faith just rise within you and something changes because there's a warrior within you. And you just built him back up again. Let's keep going. Number something. Five. There we go. Note takers. Help me out. Number five is this. Is warriors don't try to become something that they're not. This is so important. I, I, you know, let's just read. This is how David plays this out. Warriors do not try to become something they're not. Then Saul, after he agrees to let David go out, Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. He went and chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch of his shepherd's bag with his sling in his hand, and then approached the Philistine. I'm telling you what, one of the best things that you can ever do is go with what you got. Like, you are gifted, you are talented, you have abilities, and you need to go with what God gave you. Because we, especially as Americans, I think, in in particular, we are so into the comparison trap, right? We look at what other people do, and we think, man, it would be so cool if I had that, or if I was like this, or if I could do that. And we look at everything that everybody else does. And then, in light of that, we look at what we have, and we diminish it. And we say, but I don't really have one of these right here. Mine's not as many as yours. And so we have all these excuses or all these we're comparing. Here's what you need to know. If you can sing, sing, if you can teach, teach, if you can serve, serve, if you can help with kids, kids, if you can greet, greet, do something. Because your gift is important. Your gift is valuable. Like if you can wield a sword, wield a sword, but if you throw rocks, throw them well. Right? I'm telling you, there are gifts in the Bible that seem so extraordinary. There are gifts of healing and of prophecy and of speaking in tongues and interpreting. And there's all these gifts and you're like, whoa, that sounds supernatural. That sounds over the top. I don't, I don't roll like that. But in the same exact chapter, in the same exact list of gifts, he says that there are gifts like serving, gifts like mercy, gifts like hospitality. And what I'm telling you is this, is, is you can win a war with your gift. Does that make sense? You can change the world with your little gift. I promise you. You, you say, well, I, look, I'm good at this. I'm telling you, you can change the world with serving. You can change the world with mercy. And you can change the world with hospitality. If you don't believe me, I'm telling you this. Go ask the shoe salesman who, who basically shared his faith and invited another little boy to church. And it led to the salvation of Billy Graham. I'm telling you, you can change the world with your little gift. So don't go with what everybody else has got. You go with what God gave you and watch God do great things in your life. Somebody say amen. amen. Number six is this, and we'll kind of end here. Number, it's number six, right? Okay, good. I, they're numbered here in front of me. You think I could follow that? Warriors run to the battle with faith. Warriors, they run to the battle with faith. There's something about David. Listen to the story. Listen to how it get, comes out. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. That's, that's a lot of big talk there from little, little guy, little David there. Shh, be careful. Um, and this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the white. It's like motivational speech time. Now it's like, I'm pumping myself up in Jesus. You know what I mean? I'm going to have my own little motivational speech. Um, uh, that, you, that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear. For the battle is the Lord's. That's a key phrase. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into my hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Like I said, they, they, there's something about him. They just run. And I'll tell you why he did it. It's all reflected in those statements right there is that David was a four dimensional thinker. David was a, now how many know we live in three dimensions, right? We got height, width, depth, right? We got three dimensions, height, width, depth. What's the other one? There's four, even though they call it three dimensional. There's like four things. Anyway, we live in a three dimensional world, right? David didn't see things that way. What he understood was is that he lived in a four-dimensional world because what many of us as Christians forget is this, is that there is a realm all around us at all times. Like, yeah, we live in the natural realm that you can see with your naked eye, but there's a realm that is around us that is in the unseen world. Does that make sense? This is where the Bible speaks of angels and of demons. This is where we we speak of heaven. This is where we speak of things that are somehow, they're not locational, they're dimensional. They're in a world that we cannot see. And all throughout the Bible, Jesus speaks to this, the prophets speak to this, like, hey, I just need you to know that there are things going on around you that you're not fully aware of, but it doesn't mean that they're not there. And David knew this. As a matter of fact, the proof that David knew this was this, is that he knew that he, that he was facing off against a Philistine, and he calls him something in particular. He goes, this uncircumcised Philistine. He says this like three or four times in all of his speeches and his conversation. This uncircumcised Philistine. Now, how many know, like, I don't want to get into the details today of, of how that works. But what I need you to know mainly to them was that this was not a physical surgical procedure. This was a spiritual procedure to them. Does that make sense? They did not go get circumcised for, for, for health purposes. They did it for covenant purposes. They did it because God asked Abraham to do this back many, many years ago. And he basically said, this is the sign of the covenant. And this is the covenant that he gave to Abraham. One of the things that he, so he told Abraham as a part of this covenant is this. Is I will bless those that bless you and I will curse those that curse you. What had it just said earlier in the day where, where, where uh, Goliath was talking. The Bible says that he came out and he cursed the Israelites by his own gods. David's like, whoa, 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 player. I have a covenant with God and God is with me. The battle is the Lord's. I might have a stick in my hand and I'm about to throw a rock at your ugly head, but you need to know that it is God that guides everything. That it is God who's in control of everything. That is there's an unseen realm all around me and that is actually what dictates what is in this seen realm. And that's why we believe in the power of prayer, isn't it? It's because you, 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 you say something to an invisible God. You say things in an invisible realm and you expect invisible results to show up in a natural world. Right? This is what David was believing. He was a four-dimensional thinker. He knew that he was going up a, against an uncircumcised Philistine, but he knew that he had a covenant relationship with God. And through faith in that relationship with God, that God would be with him. Remember, he believed that God is. That he's with him. And that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He ran to the battle with faith. So here's my question for you this morning as we close today. What's your battle? Many of you right now, you got obstacles, you got issues, you got in-laws, you have something. You have problems, you have marital issues, you have financial concerns, you've got stuff with your kids, you've got these problems at work and coworkers, and you've got these battles around you. And the problem is, is that as a Christian, many times you have Maybe been communicated that the gospel is this thing where you should be this totally passive person and just sit back and just be. Listen to me. There's a time for peace. That's what Solomon said. But there's also a time for war. And I'm not talking about going to physical arms with somebody. I'm talking about being a spiritual warrior. I'm talking about being a person, a man or woman, who stands up and fights for what they believe in and fights against the spiritual enemies of their life. What's your battle today? When you look at your life right now, is there a Goliath? Is there this big ugly thing that just kind of creates confusion? You ever been in that place where you're like, I just don't know what to do? That's what being dismayed is. I'm confused. I just don't know what to do. You ever been in that place in life where you're just a little fearful? You're anxious. You're stressed. What is going on in your life? Because I want you to know that, that David had the heart of a warrior. And that's the heart that we all long to have. Right? We long to have a heart that looks like God's heart and reflects God's heart. And I want you to know that David had the heart of a warrior. He was incredibly courageous. He was bold and he was full of faith. And what I want you to do is take that Goliath in your life right now and I want you to run. I want you to run at it. I want you to do so prayerfully. I want you to do so with wisdom. But I want you to run at it in faith and say, God, this this battle is yours. I can't do this on my own. This is not about me mustering up the strength or going to work out at the CrossFit gym and get eight-pack abs. This is about you being a presence in my life And being a rewarder as I fight diligently for the things that I believe in and fight for for, for my family and fight against the spiritual enemies of my life. What is your battle today? Do me a favor and bow your head and close your eyes. Today as I was talking, hopefully something came to your mind. Hopefully the Holy Spirit kind of moved your brain in a direction where you said, you know what? Enough is enough. Enough is enough. I'm not going to let... These things go on in my home anymore. I'm not going to let this stuff attack my kids anymore. I'm not going to let this thing go on in my life anymore. I'm tired of falling over and over to the same temptation. It's time to fight. I'll do so with boldness and courage. I will do so with faith. I'll do so with wisdom. But God, I want to fight. I want to fight for what you have in my life. I want you to know this, that God has great things in your life. God wants to give you an abundant life. And you have a spiritual enemy that absolutely wants to keep you from it. At some point, you will have to fight. When you think about these Israelites, they came through the desert and they kind of whined and complained a lot about being in the desert, but it was only when they got into the promised land that they began to face giants. I want you to know that giants are only in the promised land. Giants don't hang out in the desert, right? Like if you're in the desert, they just want to keep you there. You're fine right there. The giants are in the promised land. God's best for your life the abundant things of your life. That's where the giants are, meaning that that the abundant life that God has for you, you might have to fight for it. And so God, I pray that you would bring to remembrance, bring to our mind what it is, the battles that we face, God, and give us the tools, the courage, the wisdom, the boldness, the faith, the heart of a warrior to take them on. God, that is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?